have our being. All we have is in you. Let's just sing that once more, church. to have life. Lord, we were dead in our sin, Lord, and you came, you lived, and you died, and you rose again, Lord, to give us life, Lord. And now, not this life that we have in us, Lord, but it's you, Lord, that it's our life. We just ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts again this morning. Lord, we want to be soft and pliable as the word comes into our hearts, Lord, and that it would produce fruit in our lives. We just thank you for your presence here. Just be glorified in our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you take your seats? My wife creates songs out of Bible verses so our little boys will learn God's word. They memorize scriptures like Ephesians 4.32, which says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And she might also create songs out of Bible verses so I can memorize them as well, because now I have that verse memorized. But nonetheless, we want our boys to know verses like this, but more importantly, we want them to begin to walk these verses out, to live out God's word as they learn about Christ. We learn from Scripture that God's word is living and active. It changes us from the inside out. Church, the truth is we live out our theology. What we believe about God and others is reflected on how we live our lives And similarly this morning, we begin Ephesians 4, where we turn from high theological thought to practical ways of living out the Christian life. Theologically, we have explored redemption, adoption, predestination, election, the work of the Holy Spirit, rebirth, and the church to name the few of the theological points that we've discussed. And this week we turn to the second half of Paul's letter, Ephesians 4, to the practical aspects of our faith. How we live as believers in community. How we live life in marriage. How we train our children. How we handle church conflict. And what we need to put off and put on as believers in Jesus Christ. Paul goes from theological input to practical output. So as we begin, turn with me to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, where we will begin this morning. As we do, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you. We give you all the glory, Father. We recognize the only thing we do have is Christ And I say that, that we recognize it, but so often we're living like we're living for so many other things, Father. 
purify us, sanctify us, change us to know you more and to live more holy, faithful to you and you alone. Help us at the family church to be a community who loves one another and loves those in the community. I ask that you be doing this work not only in the family church, but the universal Christian church, Father, the Bible believers. I ask, Father, you work and cause revival to break out in this world for your glory, Father. We ask that you use the things that are said today, Father, for your glory. Work in our hearts. Change us in Christ's name. Amen. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul starts by saying in verse 1 that he is a prisoner of the Lord. And we've heard similar phraseology from him in the past, but I want to look at it from a different angle this morning. What is the significance of this statement? Why does Paul call himself a prisoner of the Lord? Paul does not blame the Romans, nor does he blame the Jews for his imprisonment. He does not act like they have any control over his life at all. So who does Paul blame for his imprisonment? Who does Paul say has him in prison? Paul says it is the Lord's doing God had Paul go to prison. Paul knew that God was in control of all things, including his imprisonment. It's not blind chance or fate that Christ's followers find themselves in various situations and circumstances. But the problems and struggles that we are facing are part of God's sovereign plan. That means that Either God caused something to happen in our lives or he allowed the situations to happen. Turn with me to Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 to further expound on this perspective. God's holy, inerrant, infallible word says this. And we know that For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So how many things does God use for good purposes? Well, Paul says all things God uses to those who what? Love him, right? Those who love him, those who are his children, those who are walking with God. It doesn't say that God only uses the good things in our lives, right? He says, for those who love him, he uses all things. God is training his children with trials, sufferings, and struggles, as well as blessings, successes, and joy. God is using all circumstances for the good of his children, Point number one says, God uses all circumstances for our good and his glory. 
Point number one says, God uses all circumstances for our good and his glory. For example, some of you may be in a job situation where you're struggling with a coworker, Or maybe you just found out you have a life-threatening disease. Or maybe you're having marital issues and you're really struggling. These situations we face did not take God or catch God off guard or by surprise. God knows all and he is in control of all things. There's two questions to ask ourselves in the various situations that we're facing today. Number one. Number one is this. Is the purpose God, what is the purpose God has for me in the present circumstance I am facing Number one says, what is the purpose God has for me in the present circumstance I am facing? And number two, how should I handle myself to honor and glorify God in this situation? Number two is this, how should I handle myself to honor and glorify God in this situation that I'm facing? And this takes the attention off ourselves and others, the victim mentality of I don't deserve this problem or I can't believe God has me in this situation will subside and we will stop blaming others for our situation and look to God for wisdom and discernment how to handle each situation that we're facing. Paul knew his situation was under God's sovereign control, not man's. Paul, under house arrest, penned these words, to live is Christ. And he proceeded to write letters to various churches, which are known to us as the prison epistles, which are Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, which are smack dab in the New Testament. We usually have no idea the significance of the situations that we are facing. We don't know how God will use them for his glory and our good and the good of others. Those of us who are followers of Christ are in God's hand just like Paul. Let's go back to our main text, Ephesians 1, 4, 1. And it says, I therefore a prisoner... For the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I ask you, how were we called? How did we come to Christ? Who were we when we came to Christ? And to answer that question, let's go to Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5, two chapters earlier. And Paul says this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Paul says we are running our own way. We are living our own way. We are running away from God. And God pulled us out of the darkness and redeemed us and saved us. The word of God says the bottom line is this church. God saved us by his grace through faith in the death of his son, Jesus Christ. He took us out of darkness and opened our eyes. We can now see and follow Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
The Greek word for church is ekklesia, but a better rendering or meaning of the word ekklesia, church, would be the called out ones. God literally calls his people out of the darkness and gives them understanding. That means before God gave us understanding, we lived in total and complete darkness, the Bible says. We thought wrong. We did the wrong things because we lived wrong and we were controlled by something other than God. James Boyce, Montgomery Boyce, says this, We thought the way of happiness was the world's way. We did not know that we were spiritually bankrupt, emotionally warped, and morally naked. I asked, church, how many people who call themselves Christians have this basic understanding of who they were when they came to Christ? Spiritually bankrupt, spiritually helpless, which we're supposed to stay that way even in our present state, but also wicked, living our own way before Christ saved us. This is the basics of Christianity 101. But I'm going to go off on a tangent, so let's get back to text. And we're in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, which says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Verse 2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Point number two says Christians are involved in the local church. Point number two says that Christians are involved in the local church. Paul assumed when he was talking to a believer that they would be a part of what we call the local church, a body of believers who are living life with one another. We have many people today saying, I'm a Christian, but I just don't like church or I believe in Christ, but I don't go to church because my faith is too personal. Or I'm a Christian, but churches don't give me enough freedom. Or they don't give me what I want. Or I'm a Christian, but the church is so messed up and so worldly, I can't be a part of it. The problem is, Scripture makes it crystal clear that a Christian life is lived among other believers called the local church. The Bible does not speak of a believer who is not part of a Christian community. The local church is a grace to us. It is a support for us. It is a safeguard for us. We easily struggle and wander, right? As the, as the song says, our heart is prone to wander. That's who we are. We need one another. We lift each other up. We encourage each other. We speak truth to one another. We show grace to one another. But more importantly, we're called and commanded to be involved in a local church. I want to show a quick video by Mark Dever that talks about being part of the local church and being a member of a church. Let's watch that now. You should join a local church because Jesus set up the church. You're not meant to follow Jesus alone. Um, if you tell me you love Jesus but you don't love other people, I just, I don't know what you mean. You tell me you're a follower of Jesus and you're not giving your life to help other people follow Jesus. I just, I just don't know what that means. I mean, he literally laid down his life for us. Jesus said in John 13, this is how the world will know we're his disciples, by the love we have for one another. You know, um, that we would love as he has loved us. 
So if we're not having lives that are marked by that kind of love, I, I don't know what it means that we're Christians. So we want to join a local church for our own soul's sake to make sure we're really Christians. We want to join, join a local church so we can be a blessing and benefit to other Christians. We want to join a local church for the sake of, of people caught in sin who may be self-deceived and they need to realize they're not really Christians. We want to join a local church for the sake of the elders so we can support their ministry and that we in turn can be blessed by it. We want to support a local church so the gospel goes out in our community. We want to join the local church so we can experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit for our own maturity. We want to join a local church so that God is glorified as his character is displayed, his character of holiness and unity and love. All of those things that we know God is like, we actually get to incarnate as Jews and Gentiles. People who have nothing in common except for Jesus are all together in this one body. So that in the community, in the neighborhood, in the city, in the area, in the nation, and around the world, the gospel can go out because we're doing the simple thing of organizing together in a local church, which Jesus founded. You know, the church is Jesus' idea. Sometimes that we think, we think maybe that was some later organizing that the rabbi Paul did. But actually, no, ecclesia, church, that first comes from Jesus' teaching, Matthew 16, Matthew 18. And when we look at what the church is, we find that it's the body of Christ we see in the New Testament. But again, that's not just Paul's neat idea because he's a cool theologian. When he's going to persecute Christians in Acts 9, uh, and he's struck down by the, the vision of the risen Christ, what does Jesus say to him? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you going to go persecute Christians? Or even, Saul, Saul, why are you going to persecute the church? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you going to persecute me? He so identifies himself with the local church. Uh, we know he gave his own blood, Acts 20, 28, for God bought the local church with his blood. Uh, so this is God's plan. This is how he works. It's marvelous. It's prideful and arrogant and, and really dangerous for you to decide to live the Christian life with no local church. It's like driving fast at night with no lights on. Why would you do it? Why would you do it? You're set up to have the lights on, to have the truth about yourself known as you come into relation with others, to be under the teaching of the word and the authority of elders. Oh, brothers and sisters, join a good gospel-preaching local church. you got to love Mark Dever. So whether it is the family church or another Bible-believing church, it is up to you, but it is important to be a member of a biblically-based church. If you are interested in membership here, just fill out a Connect card and let us know that you're interested as we are going to start a membership class here in the near future. So, but the next question is what manner, what is the manner in which God wants us to walk with one another? What is the manner in which God wants us to walk with one another? How should we treat each other in a community called the local church? Well, let's go back to our main text, Ephesians Four, verse 2, Ephesians 4, verse 2, where Paul says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul says that we live life with one another in all humility or with all humility. And I know that humility is a lost virtue in the church. It's not very popular in our Christian American society, but I, I will tell you, it's very popular in the Bible, so we need to continue to learn about it. Charles Spurgeon says this, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. Charles Spurgeon says a humility is to make a right estimate of one's self. Do we have a right 
or clear view of who we are. And to begin to see what view people have of themselves, we could ask a simple question like, are you a good person? Are you a good person? And usually, without thinking, people say, yes, of course I'm a good person, they confidently say. And I would ask you this, how would Paul the apostle answer such a question? Would he give a confident, yes, I am good without thinking? Well, let's turn to Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20, to further flesh this out. And this is Paul talking to the church at Galatia. And he says this about himself. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in Timothy, Paul calls himself what? Worst, foremost, or chief of sinners, depending on what translation you're looking at. But the point is, and you could also go to Romans 7 as well, where he talks about he calls himself a wicked sinner. The point is, Paul had an accurate view of himself. He knew the only thing that was good about him was Christ that lived in him. And without Christ, Paul knew he was controlled by the sinful nature. Humility means we have a right view of who we are. We see ourselves for who we truly really are. We have a sober, correct, accurate perspective of who we are. But humility also means we focus on God and others instead of self. Humility means that we focus on God and others instead of self. C.S. Lewis said it like this. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. A humble person is thinking of others more than self. They are wrapped up, consumed by serving, helping, encouraging others. Humility genuinely loves and cares for other people and to further try to grasp this word humility and to help us out what would be the opposite of humility pride right pride would be the opposite of humility the humble person is selfless while the prideful person is selfish the humble are not focused on 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 self but the prideful are consumed with self the humble love god and others while the prideful love self that is why the humble can overlook an offense while the prideful are so easily annoyed and angered by other people proverbs 19:11 you can just jot that down says this good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his and it And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. How do we handle situations when someone offends us? Are we easily angered, annoyed? Do we have to go and talk to others about the person or the situation Again, our our pride makes us sensitive to self and assume the worst of other people, while humility focuses on others and assumes the best of them and is not so easily offended. 
Paul tells us in Philippians 2.3 to consider others better than yourself. Consider others better than yourself. Point number three says biblical community places others above themselves. Biblical community places others above themselves. Why do we put others above ourselves? Is it, is, it, is it so we will get along better with one another? Or is it for evangelism purposes? Or is it to help our own spiritual growth? Or is it because we want God to bless us? Well, these are all somewhat valid reasons, but the overarching, the main reason is because the church is the bride of Christ. The church is God's possession. We are here to exemplify Christ because we are here to glorify and honor God and God alone. That's why we put others above ourselves. The body of Christ lifts up one another, prays for one another, spends time in the word with one another. The body of Christ serves one another. The body of Christ encourages one another. The body of Christ corrects one another. The body of Christ rebukes one another. The body of Christ sings with one another. The body of Christ just lives life with one another. That is what it means to be the local church and what it means to be in real fellowship. And it's all for God's glory. It's not for our glory. It's for God's glory. But let's go back to our main text, Ephesians 4, verse 3 is where we're at now. And Paul says to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we are called as a church body to be eager, or as the New American Standard says it, be diligent to persevere, to keep unity with one another. So point number four says this, we enthusiastically work for unity. We enthusiastically work for unity. And I use the word enthusiastic because we should desire and want unity. And sometimes it comes very natural. And it is a sweet thing when we are loving on each other and it's just so natural, right? That is a great thing. But I will tell you, sometimes, lots of times, it takes work. It takes work. We get tired of dealing with other sinners. We wonder how Christians can be so selfish and prideful at times. We possibly even wonder if these people I'm with are even saved. But I must remind us that we are sinners as well. And we are often the selfish ones. We are often the unreasonable ones But God says to be diligent, persevere, be eager to maintain unity in the church. That's why there's so many things in Scripture that talks against that and how dangerous it is when people cause division in a church and how Christ is very frustrated with that. But what drives this unity? What drives unity? Well, if we are commanded to be unified then it hinges on our love, our relationship to Christ. If we decide to rebel against God's commands on unity, then in essence, we reveal our lack of love for Christ. Christ said what? If you love me, you will obey my commandments, right? 
Our love for God is seen in our obedience to Christ. Let me say that again. Our love for God is seen in our obedience to Christ. How we live our life. That reveals our real love for Christ. But let's move on to Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Paul gives seven examples of unity being revealed in Christ's church. In these verses as well, we see the Trinity in the middle of it. We see the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, right? The Lord, which is referring to Christ. And then we have God, the Father. And the Trinity, as we realize, works in unison selflessly with one another. They know their roles and they function harmoniously with one another. What an example we have to follow as believers. There is no backbiting or arguing or gossiping or talking behind each other's back. There is a constant mutual honor and respect for one another. There's constant edification to one another. Let me ask you, church, do we honor one another? Do we honor one another in the body of Christ? Well, the word For honor means to hold in high esteem or to hold one another in high regard. That's what it means to honor. And it's not based on what we deserve because none of us deserve anything. Honestly, what do we deserve? The Bible says we all deserve hell, right? And God, instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives us grace. Amen? We get grace. We are blessed. We honor, we respect, we love each other because of our love for Christ. That is what drives us a Holy Spirit-empowered love because of our relationship to Christ. In conclusion, Paul is giving directions, instructions on how we live in fellowship with one another in the local church. As he says, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we've discussed a lot about the church life But let me look at these verses from another perspective. What if we applied these verses to other areas of our lives, like our marriage, like our family, our friendships, or our work relationships? How are we doing? When is the last time we humbly discussed a problem, an issue with our spouse? And we remember that humility means to lift up others above ourselves. Do we think of our spouse's interest above our own? Do we think of our spouse's interest above our own? Do we ask our children for forgiveness when we sin against them? Do we ask 
our children for forgiveness when we sin against them. Again, humility is put on display when we reveal our, who we really are and we have to live that out with our children as well. Would others describe us as gentle, patient, and loving? How unified are we with others, our friends, our family, even our in-laws? Do we strive, work for unity? If we don't have unity in our families, you can surely know we don't have unity in the church. Paul gives the surrounding churches this direction because they are human like us. They struggle. They fight. Pride flares up. They love self more than others. They think wrong thoughts. They sin. And I would like to say that we are a lot different, but we really aren't. We really aren't. We struggle. We are messes at times. And God is using all things to sanctify and change us to be more like Christ as well. We are learning to love. We are learning to be patient. We are learning to look to others' interests. We are learning to sacrifice all in the context of authentic biblical community called the local church. May we be a church that strives and works for unity because of our love for Christ. May we learn to love others because of our love for Christ. May we grow in humility and have grace for one another because of our love for Christ. May we be the local church because of our desire to glorify and honor God. Let's go to him in prayer as we end. Holy Father, What a challenge we face today as our society becomes more secular, as people become more individualistic. And you call the church to be a community of believers who love one another and put others above self. What an opposite perspective than the pride and the self-centeredness that controls the, the world and often us at times in our own lives. Father, give us more Love for you, a desire to sacrifice self on the altar, to put, to nail ourselves to that cross daily because we love you so much, because we want to glorify you. Let that be. Help us to be gentle, humble, loving each other the way you call us to in our marriages, in our friendships, in our work life, and especially in the local church, Father. Help us to be a community like that because, man, we talk about evangelism. Can we imagine if people did that in the local church, how the world would be turned upside down for your glory? May we love you more and die to ourselves. And it's through Christ's name we pray. Amen.